Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu. And what we're doing this time round is the Apple TV program Severance. Every time you find yourself here, it's because you chose to come back. Now, this is going to lead us into a conversation about the evolution of the office working environment. Boring! That's a bit dry. And we're also going to be talking about brainwashing. Interested? Good. Lots of this stuff going on. Now... I just can't wait to get into this particular topic. I'm going to say, at time of recording, roughly about a year ago, my wife and I fell down this little rabbit hole of watching this series called Dark on Netflix. It's three series and it's done. It's the first German language Netflix series. And here's the kicker. It's just perfect. It's just a wonderful sci-fi story. And I did an episode on that for this particular podcast, and it didn't do wonderfully well. But that didn't surprise Greg or I, because let's face it, how many people are searching out German sci-fi on Netflix? Real shame. It's one of the best things I've seen in, in years in terms of sci-fi and, and sophisticated stuff. And basically, it did everything that Lost wanted to do, but failed to pull off. If we tell them what we know... We take away their hope. This thing, by the last episode, it was so complex, it's like, how can they possibly stick the landing and make this work? And the answer is they did. So if that sounds good, great, excellent. The creators are coming out with something later in 2022. The creators of Dark creating something called 1899. It's on a ship. It's all I know at the moment. Hopefully it's of the same quality. We believe this comes from the Prometheus. You think the passengers, they're still alive? But the thing is this, I loved Dark. I loved Dark so much I've given it another plug on this particular podcast, which is actually about Severance. But Severance is exactly the same. Problem is, we've only had one series of Severance, so I don't know how it's going to end. But oh my God, this is some of the best TV I have seen in such a long time. And... That's no disrespect to other great things. I've, I've done one on Better Call Saul, for example, an amazing TV series. But Severance is just so original. And 
Apple TV doesn't have the same numbers as the likes of Netflix and Disney Plus, so you might not have seen it. So please allow me to explain it to you, and I really hope that you try and track this down because it's definitely worth it. And I don't care if this is not the most listened to episode. I just have to share this with people because if I can just get one other person to sit down and watch it, I I know my work here is done. Well, my work is done here. What do you mean your work is done? You don't do anything. Didn't I? And also, you can come at me on Twitter, at Jem Deducci. Really hope you don't say that was a waste of time, Jim. What are you talking about? But instead, you turn around and say, oh, I'm so glad you put me onto that. Wow. What a show! Then that will put a smile on my face. So if you'd like to put a smile on my face, I'm at Jem Deducci on Twitter. Also, I'm just going to throw out there right now. Look, I've mentioned the Dark episode. I've mentioned the Better Call Saul episode. I do lots of different things on this podcast. If you just happen to have stumbled across it this week, well, that's very rare because I can't imagine the severance community is bigger than some of the other things I've been talking about. But hey, hi! Join the party. But yeah, please click subscribe. If you like this episode, please give us a review on whatever podcast format you're listening to. All of this helps spread the word. So what is this thing Jem is just jabbering on about? Well, it is one of these ideas that's so good. It's like, why did nobody make this 20 years ago? Because it doesn't really involve a lot of science. Well, not so much science fiction, but like special effects and things like that. It's very simple. The idea of severance, which is a term people use in business, meaning basically it's, it's part of redundancy. You're, you're being severed from the company. The bad news is Neil will be taking over both branches and some of you will lose your jobs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But in this case, it's taken a little more literally. Basically, while you are at work, you've undergone an operation that separates your brain. So while you're at work, all you know is work. You have no memory of your home whatsoever. You don't know if you're married or have kids or what you actually like doing on a weekend. You don't even know what a weekend is because you only know the time you're actually in the office. Hello, my name is Mark S. And I have, of my own free accord, elected to undergo the procedure known as severance. And then, as soon as you leave the office area, you then have no memory of the work environment and all you can remember is your home life, if you like. So it's referred to as your innie and your outie. The innie is the person in work and the outie is the person who gets to go along with their life. And when you think about that for a moment, it's like, oh, I would quite like this. I bet there's a lot of people out there going, I would love to only remember my personal life. Why do I need to know what numbers I crunched today or whether I had a shouting match with somebody over the account or whatever? You know, that's the thing. Work is hard and difficult and it's not necessarily really edifying all the time. Look, if you have a job, I'm lucky, lucky enough to have a job I genuinely love and I love remembering it. I love being part of it. OK, my day job is I am a business trainer. Before COVID, it was always or almost always walking into a room full of people and interacting with them and talking about topics and seeing the subject sort of grow before all of our eyes. Excellent. Love it. Very edifying. OK, but not everybody's lucky enough to have that type of job. And I get it. OK, I started off in telesales and that's not necessarily something I want to remember every hour of. Hi, Gavin. My name is Colin Valenti. I'm calling from Master Travel Incorporated. I'll tell you about an exciting limited time offering exclusive Las Vegas getaway. But of course, inside... 
you don't really know who you are. There's very little clue as to what's going on in the outside world. You understand how old you are. You can look at yourself in the mirror, but you don't really know if you can drive a car, for example. It's not something that you have any reference to. And you're going to sit there and go, "Aha, Jem!" But if they have no reference to the outside world, how can they do the job? They can't possibly be a lawyer because they'd have to have all the memories of legal qualifications, for example. And you're right; the jobs they're doing is just weird. Basically, they have to look at a grid of numbers, and depending on how those numbers make them feel, they basically cut out the chunk of numbers and put them into one of five different files. And if that sounds weird, that is not the weirdest thing going on in Severance. But the sheer genius of this thing is, if you think about it, a lot of TV shows are about trying to find the bad guy, try and find the murderer, or you know, trying to solve the crime, or trying to win the court case, or whatever. It's it's stuff that we can all relate to, and. Even if it's sort of something more fantastical, like Game of Thrones, for example, or Expanse, okay, good, fine, but we we still understand. In that case, it's life or death. But here, it's more a question of what can I remember and, and what makes me me. Now, it's not exactly brainwashing, as I said. It's actually a surgical procedure. It absolutely comes into the conversation about brainwashing. I'll explain why in a minute. Because I'm going to give ten out of ten to Dan Erickson. Who is the creator and lead writer on this? It is oh, chef's kiss perfection in terms of ideas and the way it is run logically. I'll give you an example. So John Turturro is in it. There, there are some great, great actors in it. John Turturro, I'm, I'm starting off with, and perhaps he's one of the best, well-known. Christopher Walken's in it, for heaven's sakes. But Irving, I kept thinking about what you said about being excited when you handbook totes and. Maybe you were kidding or teasing. You've got Adam Scott. He's Mark. He's probably the the main character. But we've also got Britt Lower. She plays Helly, and we got、uh, Trammel Tillman, who plays Milchik. Who is、uh, I'll come back to all those characters in a moment. But if we do John Turturro's character for a moment, he keeps talking about the basically while they're in the office area, this company called Lumon. More on that in a moment. The founder of Lumon has all these sort of quotes everywhere, and there's like this workbook as well, and like the directory and, and things like that. And if you think about it for a moment, you have all sat—maybe not in, literally in an office—but you've all sat in a meeting where you've been talked about your company's like four key policies and things like that, and you sat there and probably gone, "Yeah, whatever." Delivery has nothing to do with the delivery business. Image people, image. You know, when do I get to go home and see my kids, or, or whatever it may be? It's like, okay, look, yes, I want you to put the staff first because I'm a member of staff. That sounds good to me. But do you really believe that? And there's just this air of cynicism about this whole stuff, particularly if you're British. But of course, if you have no memory of the outside world, and all you have are these teachings and philosophies inside, the way John Turturro talks about it is it's like a religion because. In their world, the inny world, it is a religion. They don't know anything else. It's it's an abs. So basically, everything that you could think of, in essence, Dan Erickson's already thought of, and he runs with it really logically. There are no real illogical inconsistencies going on here. The other thing, of course, is rewards. How do you reward somebody for doing a good job? Well, usually in the normal world, 
you might receive a bonus or something like that. Except the paycheck, fundamentally, why you are doing the job, has no impact on these innies. They don't know if they got a good house or a nice car or whatever it may be, a Netflix subscription. They got no idea. So all of their bonuses are internal. Things like paperweights with their image in them, or a waffle evening, or something like that. So in other words, it's it's almost immediate gratification, and it is genius, absolutely genius. The next thing I've got to come on to. Is one of the main directors, not of all the episodes, but of most of the episodes, is Ben Stiller. How can we be expected to teach children to learn how to read if they can't even fit inside the building? Derek, it's just a. Small... I don't want to hear your excuses. The center has to be at least three times bigger than this. Yeah, that guy from Dodgeball and Night at the Museum. Now he's already done some very impressive direction himself. If you look at things like Tropic Thunder, he stars in it. It was his original idea, and he directed it, and it looks beautiful. I mean, it's clearly riffing on things like Apocalypse Now, which is one of the greatest movies ever made. So, yeah, Ben Stiller can absolutely direct, and he's clearly having a ball here with this particular one because I don't know what you've got in your mind in terms of an office environment. As I said, they all work in an office. But what he has done, along with obviously the set designers and things like that, has just come up with this most sterile, bland, and therefore very slightly sinister environment. All the walls are white, and there is there are hardly any doors. People just are constantly wandering down corridors. And just sort of knowing their way to get to a certain area, and clearly the area in the basement of Lumon is big, really big. It's like a maze, and people are trying to start mapping out where certain areas are. Like where is Optics with Christopher Walken? And there is rumours that years ago there had been some sort of violent uprising in this area. And nobody's quite sure which team caused all the violence, but it led to sort of like the teams being separated further. And I look, I don't want to say too much to sort of spoil various twists and turns, and just sort of like, oh, of, of course they walked into a room where that's going on. Y- yeah, why not? I'm sure there's going to be a payoff there. So really, not going to sort of spoil things for you, but the sterility of everything. And the fact that they do have a kitchen area, and they do have like a machine where they could get either beverages or like little snacks from, but they've all got like Lumon branding. You can't buy a Mars bar there, but you could get a little Lumon pack of. And actually, because nobody's got any money on them, and they have to sort of change various things. So really, all they're wearing is their work clothes, as in a suit type thing, and they just there's no clue in themselves what their outside world is for their inside world. To the point where, even if you carry up a message, if you want to sort of send a message to your alti, then there's some sort of like process that stops you passing messages between one or the other. The way it literally opens is we get Helly, played by Britt Lauer. She literally wakes up on a table in front of a very sort of 1960s kind of speaker box, which you hear a, a nice voice. That's Adam Scott trying to talk to her. She has no memory of what how she got there. And really, it's Helly who takes us on the journey. Five questions. What do I get at the end? Depends on your answers. Okay. Great. Off we go. Now to start, who are you? That's the first question. This whole system is explained 
through Heli, and she is not happy about this, and she's trying to get a message up to her Alti saying, I want out, I want to quit this job. But how do you tell your Alti that you don't want to do the job anymore? Are the people sitting in this area slaves? As they point out, on one occasion where somebody retires, somebody else says, well, this is the equivalent of them dying, because this version of this person will no longer exist. Only the Alti will exist. So it's almost like they're an oppressed peoples, if you start thinking about it. And I really hope, as I'm describing it, it's getting your own little sort of creative juices flowing, going, this sounds really interesting and really good. And it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly that there's a lot more going on than just this basic process. As I said, the basic idea of severance, if you don't like your job, it actually sounds brilliant. It's like, I don't need to fill my head with all that clutter of like a manual job or something. Then great. And then I can just remember all the fun stuff like hugging my kids and whatever. But it just builds and builds and builds from there. As I said, this, the, the set design is brilliant. But I have to absolutely talk about the character Milchik, again, by played by Trammell Tillman. He has, first of all, he's a big black guy, but the design of his character is just brilliant. Obviously, this is an office. Nobody's going to walk around with a bat on and beat people up, but he's a big guy. And the other thing is, he's wearing one of those shirts, the short sleeve shirts. So it's like a t-shirt, but you button it up at the front and you know you have a tie on, etc. And that's the sort of thing somebody would wear if they have to be physical at the same time. So even though he's, look, he's smiley and he's sort of dressed in an appropriate way for an office environment, there's a little bit of him saying, yeah, he could come at you if, if you're not careful. But he is very smiley. And there's one brilliant, brilliant point where somebody, as a reward, gets a five-minute jazz time. It's not quite called that, but basically it's a five-minute musical interlude. And he literally wheels in a record player. L.E.R., please step forward. By reaching 75% refinement on Siena, you have earned for you and your fellow refiners... A five-minute music dance experience. And Heli gets to choose the music. And then, literally, this very big guy, he sort of brings out these maracas, and he's sort of, like, shaking his arms around, and he's sort of smiling, and the whole thing is incredibly surreal. But, yeah, the Milchik character is just so interesting because there's that element of menace, but there's the really nice guy side to him as well. And... He sort of talks in half-truths a lot of the time. He's just awesome. Every character... Look, I've mentioned Mark's the main guy. I've hardly given him any time whatsoever. But he, you hear find out some very interesting things about his motivation for severance. And when you find them out, go, yep, makes complete sense. I might well be tempted to do the same thing. But you can see that he, both inside and outside, he's this very inquisitive soul. And the question is, are these two points ever going to meet? And what's brilliant is that in the there are nine episodes in season one, and it so cruelly ends on a cliffhanger. But the great thing is episode eight and episode nine are about as stressful as TV gets. But there's no guns. There's no bombs. Nobody's being chased by a wild animal or monster or anything like that. This is just about trying to achieve your goals. And it is so, so good. There's another one. There's a sort of four key group of workers called Dylan. 
And in the whole of episode nine, you feel for Dylan. I will say no more than that, but they keep cutting back to Dylan going, come on, Dylan, you can do it. And yet he's not really doing anything very much, but he is key to the whole plan of the innies. So again, I'm trying to keep it a bit vague and I'm so tempted to like give things away. But if you're sitting there going after episode one, that's really intriguing, but can they maintain it? They can. They absolutely can. And things just build and build and build. Now, a little bit like Lost, I'm worried that, you know, if they try and run this for five series, will they run it into the ground? I think it feels a bit like Dark that this has a sell-by date. If they do two or three series of it, they could probably say whatever they need to say, keep it tight and end it, end it strong. My only concern on it is like, yeah, like I say, five seasons and it all starts fiddling away and you realize they kind of run out of things to say and new ideas by halfway through season four. So why am I still watching this? But I'm telling you right now, season one is some of the best TV I have seen for a very long time because it's so original, so well written, brilliantly acted and that set design. It's all just a bit eerie and off in a good way. If you've seen the Loki TV series, they've done the same kind of thing. It's a sort of like 1960s style office with like brutalist architecture. And and it's just sort of like nobody has an office like that anymore. And it's sort of, again, it just feels a little bit off. And it's almost the exact opposite of when I was talking about WeWorks on the We Crashed episode. Yes, it's fair to say that Mr. Newman would not approve of the of Lumon, which you're still not quite sure what Lumon act at the end of series one. I don't know what Lumon does. People don't even know what we do. I don't even know what we do. And what is what's with all these numbers and just what's going on? I don't know. But do you know what? It, it feels OK to not know at this moment in time. They're not stringing it along unnecessarily because they've got so many active questions to be answered. But millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When my wife and I finished episode nine, it's, uh, I because I assumed like everything else, oh, there'll be ten episodes. Went, went, don't worry, don't worry, we'll get some resolution. Went, oh no, that's the end. Oh my god, we're gonna have to wait. I don't know, a year and a half before the next series. Oh, please come back now, Severance. If anybody from Severance is listening now, you have got to make season two. I know it's already been approved, and Apple's already said we love this. Let's keep going. So yeah, if this is all sound interesting to you. And then I think you can tell I'm super hyped about it. So just to be clear, the TV series Severance is on Apple TV. So you need to have some kind. I think Apple TV, you can get it like six months free on if you have you've just bought a new Apple device. And I think on other things like, I don't know, something like I've got a new PlayStation or what have you. There's a way to get it free. But you know what? Apple's got some really interesting TV shows. Not all of it's great, but, you know, they've got the brilliant movie Coda. They've got the really heartwarming series Ted Lasso. You've got Foundation, which I've done another episode on, sort of combined Foundation with June. And also you've now got Severance. There's some really, really good stuff there that People just don't talk about as much as Netflix because, as I said, Apple TV doesn't as many followers as Netflix. So, yeah, this is definitely if I was you at least get a subscription for a month, binge all those things I've just mentioned. That's a hell of a month for you and enjoy yourselves. So, yes, as I said, literally, literally, there's no brainwashing going on this. But as I mentioned, particularly with the John Turturro character, this idea of this extreme reverence, almost building this way of life, almost like a religion, if you like, towards Lumon the company. This brings us into the area of brainwashing. Now, to be clear, the actual term brainwashing was created by Edward Hunter in 1950s, a British writer, and he was making it in reference to some of the prisoners of war coming back from the from the Korean War. There's a strange effect where some of these prisoners seem to have been talked into becoming communists. And I'll, I'll come back to that later on, because that's obviously the 20th century. That's very much a, a recent development. And brainwashing, we can't really talk about. I mean, does even brainwashing exist? That's a whole other conversation. Another 30 minutes brainwashing should suffice, and then we can move on to the conditioning. But I want to, I want to go back, shall we? So I'm going to go back to the Middle Ages, and I'm going to talk about something that I have done in passing in a previous episode where I talked about Assassin's Creed. I talked about assassins, or the hashishism, which is... A, which is where we get the word assassin from, which was an Islamic group of Shia Muslims. They're actually the Ishmali sect from modern day Syria. Okay, so we're now into the era of like the Crusades. And while we can talk about the Crusaders, they had lots of armies and they were major players in, let's say, the 1200s. And we can obviously talk about the, the Muslim powers, particularly based out of Egypt. You can also talk about the Mongols from the mid 1200s. They came crashing into the Middle East. So all three of these are major powers with major resources behind them. But the other one that we have to talk about is the assassins. Why? They were tiny number of people by comparison to any of these other three. And for the record, the Crusaders were the very much junior partners compared to the mighty Mongol Empire and the power of the Islamic states coming out of Egypt. But the thing is this, where the reason why we got the word assassin from them is they assassinated people and their assassins were 
utterly fanatical. Their weapon of choice was a poisoned blade, and these men, because they were always men, would take down very high-value targets. And they weren't just going for Christians and Mongols, they were going for Muslims as well. Don't forget Shia and Sunni Islam, they really don't get on very well. So the, the assassins were feared by everybody. Now, there is a great story that originates from Marco Polo that explains this fanaticism. And basically what he said was, is you have these young men and they're taken outside a castle and there they are given cakes which actually have cannabis in them, hash cakes, and they fall asleep. They are then carried inside the castle, which has beautiful fountains and gardens and beautiful dancing girls, and they wake up surrounded by this amazing environment, and they're given grapes and wonderful foods and things like that. And after a few hours of sheer pleasure and luxury, they are given more hash cakes and they fall asleep again, and then they're carried back outside the castle where they wake up for a second time, and they are told by the assassins that they have just glimpsed a moment in heaven, and that if they want more of that, they're going to have to now become hardcore assassins, start assassinating people, and if they die doing the job, they're definitely guaranteed to go to heaven. That is all a lie. <laughs> None of that happened. It's a brilliant explanation of fanaticism, but all you need to know in the 21st century is you need something a lot less elaborate than that to radicalize young men to destroy themselves in the name of a greater idea. Indeed, the term martyr did genuinely mean both in Islam and Christianity, giving up your life for your faith, but it wasn't going to take anybody else with you. You're dying for your beliefs. Think of lots of the saints, for example, at the time of the Romans. You know, they were, might have been put to death, but they were true to Jesus all the way to the bitter end. Same thing for Muslims. It's really only in the 20th century that martyrdom there has this other meaning where I'm going to take as many of the unbelievers down with me as much as I can get, basically. And yeah, you, you don't need that elaborate story at all. There is always sort of somebody willing to be sort of like big and tough and be remembered or knowing that their family will be looked after and it's like, well, my life isn't worth much anyway. I feel disenfranchised and yeah, I'll just go for it. That's the sad reality of things. But this idea, this complete belief in a thing. You can argue, and yes, I know I'm sort of tippy-toeing around the idea of religions, like I'm definitely going to heaven. Nobody definitely knows that. But if all you've been surrounded, if all you've been told your entire life, then yes, you might well fight for God or whatever it may be. So you can argue that, if you want to be really cynical, you can argue the concept of sort of brainwashing, this influencing of people's ideas and outlook on life is, has been around for thousands of years but really only becomes honed in the 20th century with the idea of the invention, if you like, of psychiatry and psychology and some of these sort of mind-altering drugs, particularly lysergic acid dilithamide. I think I've got that about right. <laughs> I have practiced it. Better known as LSD, all right? So, okay. You know, you can argue things like the, the Nazis brainwashed an entire country into believing that they were special people with a special destiny and all that kind of stuff. And make no mistake about it, just because your 
outlook on life is deeply, deeply twisted doesn't mean you can't be brave. Germany would have been unable to fight for six years had it not been for the fact that they had some very brave soldiers willing to risk their lives for terrible, terrible causes. But yeah, bravery is not the sole reserve of people with noble causes. This is the problem I have with Hufflepuff, by the way, when they think that their outright most important thing is bravery and loyalty. Sorry, loyalty, I should say. It's like, well, you can be loyal to a terrible cause. That means, you know, the Hufflepuffs are easily led. Apologies to all Hufflepuffs out there. But anyway. Some of you may be wondering about the thinking behind the school's decision to put all the appalling duffers into one house, <laughs> call it Hufflepuff, and give it the symbol of a badger. You get into the 20th century. And there is this kind of zealousness appearing now in non-religious elements. Think of, for example, like the communist uprising and revolution in Russia. There's sort of the zealotry around that, the willing to sometimes sacrifice yourself for the greater cause, the idolization of the likes of Lenin and Stalin, absolutely important in the spread of the communist ideals at that time. This got caught on by China, and so you get Mao in the 1930s and 40s creating these myths around himself, and it still goes on today. It is worth sort of like pointing out, Mao's still on the money in China, even though the Chinese have even admitted that he made mistakes and things like the Great Leap Forward led to deaths unnecessarily. But it's very much swept to one side, because if you keep talking about how corrupt and incompetent the Communist Party is, well, then they're still in charge. Why? It leads to awkward questions. So there's a little bit of explanation and understanding, but then they quickly sweep it under the table. But of course, it's those people constantly shouting out their slogans and constantly sort of talking about things like, you know, your self-recrimination and all this kind of stuff. If you're sitting in a room where people are constantly shouting things at you and you're given no other option there, if you're sometimes only given food when you agree with somebody, you can. It has been shown that eventually you can grind people down. Whether or not it sticks is a different matter, but you can get people to start doing what you want. In fact, you can start unshackling them and they will just be obedient to you if you do this over enough period of time. These re-education centers which still exist in China and North Korea were things that were happening during the Korean War to prisoners of war. Now, if you're a poor American who just never got a lucky break in their life and their family's dirt poor and you've seen none of the American dream in inverted commas and then you're hearing about how communism is sort of brotherly love and everybody's got an equal shot and all this kind of stuff and the state looks after you there's no poverty doesn't take a huge amount of brainwashing for you to go uh, maybe that's better but of course, to the outside world, it just looked insane. It looked like brainwashing. But it led to this kind of fear of some of these, you know, how many of these men coming back out of these prisoner of war camps were maybe sleeper agents, actually, for the communists. It led to the famous Manchurian Candidate movie, which was one of these films that started to associate drugs with this re-education, with this idea of brainwashing. Allow me to introduce our American visitors. I must ask you to forgive their somewhat lackadaisical manners, but I have conditioned them, or brainwashed them, which I understand is the new American word, to believe that they are waiting out a storm in the lobby of a small hotel in New Jersey. You've got the famous assassination of Bobby Kennedy, not JFK, his brother, a few years later. It's very sad that both of them were assassinated by Sirhan Sirhan, who, to this day, 
says that he was sort of brainwashed to do this. He didn't mean to. He was just felt compelled to do it, which has been turned into so many different movies. It's something that's sort of a spy standard in the 1960s and 1970s. You see, Brian, during the Cold War, the Soviet Union brainwashed dozens of American civilians, effectively making them sleeper agents who could be activated at any time to do the work of the KGB. Activated how? The agents could be activated by uttering a predetermined phrase, at which point they would snap into a trance and mindlessly carry out whatever orders they were given by their KGB handlers. Well, wh- I mean, what if they encountered somebody who said the phrase accidentally? But there's something to that, because the CIA literally were running brainwashing program in America using that LSD that I perhaps might have mispronounced a little bit earlier called Project MK Ultra. This is a terrible abuse of power where some people who were given no consent whatsoever were being given micro doses of LSD on the sly, basically, to see if they could start manipulating their minds. The reason why we know about this, and, and Project MK Ultra in the 60s and 70s was about as secret as any kind of project would get. The reason why it came out is because people were realizing that they're feeling ill and unwell, and they started digging into it and discovered eventually that the CIA had their medical records for no good reason. And so they were able to sue the American government. But of course, this stuff, on top of things like Watergate and the Vietnam War, just is, is one of the touchstones of both conspiracy theories and also I'm not going to trust the government. Because on this occasion, the conspiracy theory was true. That's the scary thing, which leads to other people going, well, if that one's true, then maybe 9-11 was an inside job. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. But I'm just sort of putting it out there that this was something that was going on. That's the sinister stuff. Now I want to briefly talk about the office world. Again, I talk a little bit about this on the WeWorks episode called We Crashed. Go back and listen to that one. But what I found interesting, being a history buff, and getting my first job after doing a degree in archaeology and medieval history, is sitting there in an office and realizing in the mid-1990s that apart from a bit of the window dressing, for example, the sheer quantity of women in the office place there, basically there was no real difference between what I was doing in the 1990s and what somebody might have been doing in the 1920s, that there was a 70-year spread of identical work. So I looked into it, so like, well, how far back does office work go. Now, to be clear, there were scribes using sticks to poke into wet clay during the ancient Mesopotamian era. There were people using reeds to to write hieroglyphs next to pharaohs in the ancient Egyptian era. There were stelae for the Romans. There were quills for the Renaissance and medieval era. Look, I've just covered the entire history of writing, okay, four and a half thousand years. There's always been somebody sitting there writing down because that's why we got the writing. But I don't think a, let's say, Roman scribe is the same thing as an office worker. And really, you have to get to the Industrial Revolution, where we start getting what's now referred to as blue-collar workers and white-collar workers. What does that mean? Well, the blue-collar is a reference to denim. In other words, you're wearing work overalls, you're wearing work clothing, which means you're in a sort of dusty, dirty environment. You might be in a sawmill, you might be working in a steel mill or whatever, but basically you're producing something. You're in a factory. White gets dirty quick, so you're therefore working in a clean environment. An office, a separate room where you might be doing the financial accounts of this iron mill or steel mill or whatever. So yeah, you're now separating the workers. Everybody's working at the same site, but they're doing very different things. 
and basically a fully qualified accountant will earn a lot more money than somebody working on the shop floor. It's fun to charter an accountant and sail the wide accountancy. But then again, you can't flip their jobs over either. Maybe the accountant could do it, but they don't have the skills and nuances of working with this machinery for years and years. So you get this sort of separation there, which I find really interesting. So office work has been going on for a couple of centuries. But if we're talking about the 1800s, this is before the invention of telephones. So what you would have is you'd have people writing things down on scraps of paper, handing it to a little, basically a boy, a young boy, who would then run to wherever they need to go, to the post office to get some stamps or to the other end of the factory to tell Bob that he needs to come over because there's a problem with bloody blah, blah. So, so the communication network was different. The clothing was a little bit different as well. Up until the 1920s, some of these white collar workers, literally the collars and cuffs of their shirts were removable. So if you've ever had cufflinks, which are pointless because there's this thing called buttons that you can have on your shirts, but cufflinks are a hangover of that because they used to be part of the system to keep the the cuffs on the actual shirt. So the, the rest of it was basically was basically cloth, but things like sometimes the collars and cuffs, which is where you get the term to the collars and cuffs match, which is a whole other thing I'm not going to explain now, but those sometimes were actually a form of card, depending on how wealthy you were. Obviously, you got things like the advent of the personal computer. You got the advent of things like the fax machine and photocopier. I can remember when I first joined, we literally had a team secretary because none of us had. This is the thing. When I first started, I had to do my job in a media company. This is not some sort of backwater selling pig iron. Well, I fooled you. I fooled you. I got the pig iron. I got the pig iron. This is central London doing some cutting-edge magazines, and I sat there with a pad of paper, a pen, a telephone, and one of those kind of roller decks of business cards. Now, I remember having to use Tipex. I was like, oh, Dave no longer works there. Tipex out, Dave's name, put in Sam's name or whatever. Phone numbers change, then I'll change that. We had a fax machine that we would, you know, when a deal was done, I would get agreement on telephone. Do we have a deal? Yes, we do, Jim. I would then write it up on a fax and I would then put it through a fax machine and then they sign it and fax it back. Fax it back was a phrase in the 1980s and 90s that doesn't exist anymore. I also remember when getting artwork, it had to be bromides, which were a thing that physical piece of artwork had to be right hand reading emulsion side down. That technology doesn't exist anymore. It's gone the way of, I don't know, steam engines or something. It's all electronic nowadays. And so I also remember, to see how many of you do, that when I filled out an order form internally, it was on carbon paper, which meant you basically had four forms exactly the same. And I write it all out on the top form. And then basically because it on the back of it, it's got a little bit of ink or carbon as I press down on it, I get four perfect copies and the yellow one would go to production and the pink one would go to accounts and the white one would be held by sales. So we've got a copy and the blue one would go somewhere else. You know, that might well ring a bell with you if you're kind of my age. If, however, you're 35 or, or younger, you're going, what are you talking about, Jim? And yet that's how 1990s technology was working. And you can see that none of that would have been any different in the 1920s, you know, at the time of Al Capone, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, the telephone would have been a different shape, but they still would have used pen, paper, 
cards with client information on and filling out those carbon papers. Maybe they didn't have a fax machine. Although technically they did. There's this wonderful fact that a very first version of a fax machine was invented in the mid-1800s. And obviously you've got President Lincoln. He lived till 1865. And the samurai were disbanded around about 1868. And so there were a few years where, in theory, a samurai could have sent a fax to Abraham Lincoln. It's technically true that, but it does kind of blow your mind. But it also shows you that while there was this sort of 70 years of stability in the work office environment, within a few years, suddenly I had a personal computer on my desk. And then pretty much the same year, I got email. And at that point, everything changes. You know, we've got websites, et cetera, et cetera. Suddenly sending that artwork, we didn't literally have to wait for a biker to turn up with the artwork. We could send it down. an ISDN line is what they were originally called back in the late 90s. But then just emailed nowadays, send it on a PDF. Thank you very much. So look, I really hope that sounds interesting to you. I've managed to talk about brainwashing. I managed to talk about office and I've also managed to talk about one of the best TV shows that you can see there today. So hope you enjoyed this one. As always, another podcast coming soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.